Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon. What a start to the Brewer season. Three out of four from St. Louis. Christian Yelich picking up right where he left off. Some good starting pitching, some solid relief pitching. Three out of four. Gotta just love that. Here's the big challenge. You know, you know who should be really excited this year about the Brewers and Christian Yelich is the guys that are hitting behind him, the Ryan Braun's and the Travis Shaw's, because I, I think as this goes on, and you're already starting to see this, what did, what did uh, Yelich walk three times yesterday in addition to a home run and a game-winning double? Their teams just aren't going to pitch to him. And, and, and his job is going to be to just stay disciplined and, and take the walks. If they're not going to pitch to you, don't swing at bad pitches. Just go to first base. You know, Take the walk, and then that opens the door, especially if Lorenzo Cain can get on base. That opens the door for, again, who's ever hitting behind Yelich to have a really, really big year. But it, it's just something special. The guy's a special ball player, and it's just fun to watch. All right, a lot of ground to cover on today's program. As I was saying a couple minutes ago, if you follow me on Twitter, at JeffWagner620, um, I, I have I have a, a piece that I found that I think kind of puts the whole Joe Biden thing in, in perspective. For everybody who thinks... Joe Biden's behavior around women is kind of creepy. What what you have to do is you have to put it in some perspective about the 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 normal. And you know Joe Biden's been around politics for well well over forty years. Let, let me take you back to something that that was in fact kind of that normal in in nineteen eighty. And I apologize for this earworm. It's time to play The Feud. Now, there have been many iterations of the game show Family Feud since it debuted in 1975 or 1976. 1976, I think. But I think you can make a strong argument that the greatest version of Family Feud was the original one with Richard Dawson as the host. He hosted the show from 1976 to 1985. There is you, you, YouTube has just about everything, and I have a link to this up on, again, my Twitter feed, at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link. If you, if you are of a certain age and you remember the original version of The Family Feud and you remember Richard Dawson, his big thing, we can kill the music now. That's enough of an earworm. Thank you. His big thing was he used to kiss the women on the lips, on the lips. On the lips, I have a link to a video. <laughs> now, this is whoever put this together. It's an example of somebody that has, well, maybe too much time in their life. It is a nine-minute video. You don't have to watch the whole thing. You can fast-forward it through. But it has every kiss that Richard Dawson gave to contestants on Family Feud during the 1980 TV season. There are over 200 women... <laughs> 200 women that Richard Dawson kisses on on Family Feud. And in some cases, 
And he, he kisses. I'm not talking about kissing on the cheek. I'm not talking about kissing them on the forehead. He just kisses them on the lips. And in some cases, there's kind of a, I don't want to describe it as a grope, but there's kind of sort of a grab that goes along with it. You know, he puts their hands on the shoulder and puts it towards him. This was on, again, Family Feud was a daytime game show on ABC back during this time. So in 1980, these here kisses on the lips were were the norm. I mean, nobody looked at that and thought, well, Richard Dawson's a sex molester or Richard Dawson's creepy or things like that. It was just this is this is what they did. They he kissed the women on the lips and they presumably I mean, I'm sure there's some that didn't like it, but it, it was the participatory thing. But this was 1980. And if you want to see the video again, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Now, I start that off because the story over the weekend involves former Vice President Joe Biden, who in many cases, when even though he's not formally announced as a candidate for president, when they do the polls of various Democratic candidates, Joe Biden comes out first. Now, part of the reason for that is I just think it, it's you've got name recognition. That That's number one. I mean, he's former vice president. Secondly, Joe Biden, and I never thought I would be saying this, but Joe Biden comes from the, the moderate wing of the Democrat Party. Joe Biden is what I would describe as a mainstream center-left Democrat in the in the model of a Bill Clinton. All right, that is not in fashion in the the Democrat Party nowadays. You have the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warren and the the AOC wing. It, it's the here we're we're socialists and we want to push this country as far to the left as we possibly can because we don't think capitalism works. That's not where Joe Biden comes from. Joe Biden represents kind of the old guard. Joe Biden, though, has an appeal because the truth of the matter is, if you look at what happened when the Democrats retook the House of Representatives in 2016, it wasn't because of the firebrand liberals. They were, by and large, running in safe Democratic seats. It was the swing districts where moderate Democrats were able to win because the Republicans, um, you know, were, were tied to Donald Trump or, or whatever. So, I mean, I still think we may, we are in general like a, a center right to center left, um, country. But, and Joe Biden represents that. And so that's why he has a lot of appeal to a, a number of, of mainstream voters and a lot of the more traditional Democrats. That's not where the, the, the the left is, though, in this country. The left doesn't want Joe Biden. So over the weekend, the story comes out that you have a, a woman who was running for lieutenant governor in Nevada. So 2014, when he is still the vice president, he is out, and Joe Biden is doing a, a fundraising event for her. The woman's name was Lucy Flores. Her story is, and she writes this essay, interestingly, she doesn't write an essay and doesn't go public with this until now. We're talking, you know, essentially four and a half, five years later. And and here's what she says. She says, okay, well, we're, you know, we're up there. I'm getting ready to go on the stage. And that uh, Biden comes up to her from behind, places two hands on her shoulders. She then says, 
He kissed her on the back of her head. He proceeded to this is her he proceeded to plant a big slow kiss on the back of my head. My brain couldn't process what was happening. I was embarrassed. I was shocked. I was confused. I couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. I wanted nothing more than to get Biden away from me. My name was called. I was never happier to get on stage in front of an audience. So let's be clear here. She doesn't say that he grabbed her breasts. She doesn't say that he stuck his hand anywhere in a Appropriately, She says he came up from behind her, he put his hands on her shoulders, and he kissed the back of her forehead, back of her head, before she went on. All right, so this has now generated this huge sort of controversy. <clears throat> Is Joe Biden... You know, this creepy uncle, is he, you know, some sort of pervert? Should he be disqualified? Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you might want to argue that, that Biden is an anachronism. You know, Biden goes back to the days of family feud where you have Richard Dawson that's kissing women on on the lips. And, and maybe you can say, all right, you know, Biden Biden needs to get with it because we're in the Me Too era. The interesting thing to me is, assuming that Biden did this, and I assume that he did, uh, my question is, should this be disqualifying? Does this show that he has a disrespect for women? Is he some sort of pervert? Or is this just, I don't know, something, you know, given the fact that he's in his mid-70s, this is just the way he was brought up. He's a very tactile sort of politician they're used to kissing people they're used used to kissing babies they're used to grabbing people kind of this hail farewell type farewell type of person all right is this something that's disqualifying for biden or is this kind of one of these attacks that's being launched on him because people from the left are afraid that he might actually win? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. we discuss in a moment if you're on the line please hold on Twelve seventeen. jeff wagner wtmj Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Deb in Greendale. Deb, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. I Hi, think Deb. one, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, two, I mean, seriously, look at videos online or whatever. He He's come up from behind on people all the time, puts his hands on the shoulders of men. He did it to Obama all the time. He sent it to many other people. You just think it's his style. Some people have this kind of touchy-feely, kind of, here, let me me embrace you type of style. Yes, and I have to tell you something. Also, as a woman, I think I would prefer that. I would think nothing more of that. But if someone was touchy-feely from the front, that might bother me. (laughs) Right. But it's just, you know, it's just a, hey, good luck. You know, well, for good luck type of a thing. Don't make such a big deal out of it. Seriously. You know, it's interesting, Deb, because I know all sorts of people in my life of, of actually all different ages who are, and men and women, who are gay and straight, by the way, who are huggers. That That's just kind yeah. of what, that, that's kind of what what they are. And, right. and, and again, I, I, all different ages and all different sexual orientations. And it's not like a sexual thing. It's just, they're huggers. Oh, Jeff, I haven't seen you in two years. Here, it's great. You know, and that's just, that's just what they do. That's what they do. And he was there as a friend. He was there as a supporter. And, you know, you, you want to go up and it, it right. so regardless, I've heard this woman talk too. And it's like, people are going, 
why did you wait so long to do this until now? If it bothered you, hey, say something. Hey, Joe, that kind of bothered me. Or Right, back off. Right. Yeah, back off. Do it at the time. Yeah. Okay, no, th- thanks to the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Look, far, far be it from me to defend Joe Biden, although I do think there is a huge political element to this. Let, let's face it. You have people in the Democrat Party who, who want to go far left. And they see that Joe Biden is the leading candidate, so that's it. Let's try to take him out, especially since he's going to be a lot more moderate. And look, and, I don't, I, I, and maybe I think you can argue that he has the best chance of winning, to tell you the honest to goodness truth. But but regardless of that, I think it's an effort to take him out. But I, I mean, I'm not going to condone you know bad behavior and you know grabbing women. I'm just I'm looking at this, and when I first heard the story breaking, I'm thinking, well, what did he do? And then say, okay, so he came up behind, he put her hands on her shoulders and he kissed the back of her head. Now, does that, if you just describe it, does it sound a little bit creepy? Maybe, but in the overall context, I, I think the guy's kind of a, he's kind of a hugger. That's that's what he does. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Christina in Hartford. Christina, good afternoon. Christina. Oh, I'm sorry, Barbara. Barbara in Oak Creek. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, hi, Barbara. Um, my point was, is, if you disqualify him for that, don't you have to disqualify Trump for all the stuff that he was accused of doing, showing disrespect to women while he was running and is serving as president? Well, I mean, it's yeah. kind of childish, if you ask me. I mean, childish that... And that they're going to bring this up and use this to disqualify Biden when they certainly couldn't, you know, do it to Trump when he was running. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I guess the question becomes if... If the Democrats nominate somebody like Joe Biden, does right. that do, do they lose the then do, do they lose the high road among women? But you know what I, I mean? I think most I think most women kind of look at this Barbara and say, "Huh, you know that you, you you know when you're being sexually assaulted, you know exactly. when a guy is groping you." And I don't think most people would think of this in this context as as being groped. Some might, Not but I don't think most people. Quote yeah, to what you know was said about the president when he was running. Not even close. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I would look at it, if that was me, it was like a, kind of like a fatherly congratulations, squeeze on a shoulder, kiss on the back of the forehead. Big deal. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Now, Christina in Hartford. Christina, good afternoon. Hi, Beth. Hi, Christina. What do you think? Um, I don't think it's grounds for kicking him out of the race, but I think it is definitely um, a picture into who he is. Um, in my opinion, it is very creepy and unwanted behavior, um, and it's very clever on his part because he's getting exactly what he wants without stepping over a line so that people see it for what it is. There's okay, when you say what he's getting what he wants, what do you mean? He's getting, he's able to get close to the women he wants to get close to it and get just enough satisfaction of being able to invade their space without being called out on the carpet for it. And I know it's going to sound like I'm a, a man hater and all of that, which I am not. I have no problem with people hugging, handshaking, grabbing an arm. But most of the time when people are doing that, it's not to a complete stranger or it's in a relic, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there, there are people who know each other. He is walking up to somebody he has never met before. He is coming up behind her. In, in yeah, a, but other, at the same time, it's not like it's a complete stranger. He's there. Have they He's met the, before? No, well, I, I think, no. th- well, they, wait, they had met, 
they had met before that event. But I mean, he's there to help her raise money. I mean, he's he's the featured exactly. guest for her event, so he's exactly. there to help her so out. He is in a position where nobody's going to call him out for his creepy behavior. I'm so, I've had it happen to me personally. I'm not going to sit here and say boo hoo hoo, but I've been on the side of that woman, and I know exactly how it's done. And you sit there and you look at the people around you, and you're screaming on the inside, going, "This person is creepy," but everybody else doesn't see it. If if this is part of, I see. I don't think Joe Biden. I think my guess is he's been doing the same thing for the last forty years. That would be my guess. Does that does that has he always been wrong, or is this yes. just kind of okay? So yes, I, and you know, people are people are wrong, and then hopefully minds change. And 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 this is kind of. I don't want to you know, be crazy about this, but this is kind of what the Me Too movement is about. I don't want to stand and beat a drum, but this is kind of, it's calling attention to this kind of behavior. It's behavior that some people don't like. It is manipulative by some of the people who are doing it, and it's just making it aware, and he should be more aware. Oh, okay, maybe I need to have a conversation with people before I am a little too touchy-feely. It'd be completely different if there was a verbal you know, communication and things going on, and then people can assess a little bit better. But when you're coming up to somebody, no conversation, putting your hands on them, putting your mouth on them, I don't care where, that's a little invasive. Okay, thanks to call, 414-799-1620. I guess that's the, that's the question. I know a lot of people feel like Christina does. I, I don't I don't know that... I don't know that I think that... And again, I'm, I'm no fan of Joe Biden one way or the other. I, I don't know that I think he's getting gratification from it i think it's he is perhaps a part of a different generation of politicians where where you had the the touchy i mean think about bill clinton and and, and i'm not just talking about the you know bill clinton trying to get everything he possibly anybody could possibly into bed i'm talking about the, the the bill clinton from the campaign trail i mean this is the bill clinton who's out there and he's shaking hands and he's grabbing people and he's hugging people he is making that connection and and i think you know Biden comes from that kind of Bill Clinton school of politics. And, you know, does that play in 2019? Well, obviously it doesn't play among some people. Does that mean that he is, in fact, the the creepy uncle and some sort of pervert? I I think that carries it too far. All right, we've touched a nerve with this. And I I think this is an interesting conversation as to is this generational or is it something more going on? So we're going to do this for one more segment. I've got one open phone line if you want to join me, 414-799-1620. It's 1228. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The part of it is... I'm just really not a hugger, and, and maybe it is because I, I've spent a career kind of in the public eye, and I, I don't want—I don't want somebody to be uncomfortable. I don't want somebody to say, "Oh, Jeff Wacker is at one of our events, and he reached out and he hugged us, and you know, his hand got there." Or what? I, I just so I'm always uncomfortable about that. But it is interesting. My, my wife, many of her, her friends are huggers, and so everybody hugs, and, and that—that's okay. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm fine with it, but it, it's kind of been a little bit of a, of a change. All right, is Biden some creepy sort of guy, or is this just being blown out of proportion? Susan in Janesville. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, the second, blown out of proportion. It's reminiscent of, in 2017, um, George H.W. Bush 
from his wheelchair, right. touching mother's hand, and he had led a life on a high moral plane of decency and respect for people. And Biden, too, I think it's just that he, it's his manner of being a hugger and just warmly approaching somebody. And I think it's all to try to draw the Democratic Party farther to the left. You know, it's interesting that you said the Bush thing, because that's the first thing I thought of. I remember some woman was saying, oh, we were posing for pictures with him, and he was in his wheelchair, and his hair, his hand kind of slid down, you know, below the lower part of my back, and I uh-huh. felt violated. It was kind of like, oh, for goodness sakes. Yeah, you in know? a group. Right, yeah, in, it's right. The same, it, it's the same story. Right. Right. But that uh, wasn't for a political I don't know what that was for, but definitely um, that was to ruin somebody's character at age 90 or whatever. But this... Um, it's ridiculous. Is this gonna is this gonna stop him? I mean, will will this haunt him if he does get into the race? I don't know. <laughs> not, not fair. Okay. I don't know. It wouldn't. If I was to vote for him, it wouldn't stop me from voting for him. Right. Definitely. Okay. No, thanks for calling. No, I mean that's and 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 I guess it it's one of the things that I people have sort of different styles. And again, I go back to. I mean, even different different politicians have different campaign styles. I mean, Lyndon Johnson, you go back and look at uh, Lyndon Johnson was not necessarily a warm, cuddly guy, but he was a hugger. He'd grab people. He was an imposing physical guy. He'd pull people towards him. I mean, he would do those sorts of things. That was his style. Nixon, not so much so. Um, you know, but you, you go back through the different times. I think Bill Clinton would be the classic example of, you know, a politician who, you know, had what I would describe as an intimate personal style. And, you know, we, we all know that whatever, whatever Clinton's, you know, problems were, you know, off of the campaign trail, et cetera, et cetera, that was his style. It was kind of this compassionate, this touchy feely sort of thing. Um, let's take one more call on this. Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, I actually just finished reading Joe Biden's book, uh, Promise Me, Dad. And i got to tell you, uh, this is a deeply religious Irish Catholic man mm-hmm. that carries a rosary. And uh, he comes from a family that's touchy-feely. He kisses his sons. He kisses his male friends. I come from the same kind of a family. Uncles kiss me on the lips, vice versa. Yeah. We're touchy-feely, we hug. Right. Uh, you know, I... I this to making a big uh, a mountain out of a molehill. There's nothing there. Okay, uh, thanks. I, I I think, I mean, look. Obviously, if this woman felt that she was being violated, if she felt uncomfortable because of what Biden did, I mean, I think she has legitimate right to feel that way. I mean, and, and so it, it would have been interesting if at the time she would have said, "Mr. Vice President, you know, don't." Please, you know, don't touch me. Or, you know, I mean, I understand that's tough for her to say. She's running for lieutenant governor. She's never held elective office or at least statewide office. You know, and you've got the vice president of the United States that, you know, kisses you on the back of, of the head. At the same time, I, I think I'm more inclined to just say this is Joe Biden's style. Now, maybe what that means is moving forward, it is a different generation. It, it's because uh, I think there is a generational element to this. So it's a different generation and, you know, people have different perspectives. And and maybe that means from now on, OK, no, no hugging, you know, no touching. You know, if you're going to shake hands, you shake hands and, and that's it. But do I think this means that Biden is a pervert? Uh, no, I, I, I don't. I also think that you can't divorce the politics of this from what's going on. 
Biden represents a challenge to the far left of the Democrat Party. That That's just the reality. And right now he is the leading challenge and really probably the only moderate Democrat considering getting into the race. There's no question in my mind that you have the people on the left who want to take him out. And I believe that there is an element to that, to the timing of this. And my guess is there's going to be other stories that, that come out about other women who say, yeah, 1989, you know, Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders or something like that. That's the kind of guy that Biden is. Does that mean he should be disqualified? My answer would be no. When we come back, an update on the Jussie Smollett case and some explaining, some more explaining that I think the Cook County State's attorney has to do. Stick around. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Yes, I am aware that it is April 1st, April Fool's Day. We don't do. I, I learned a long time ago when I started doing this program that we, we don't do stuff on we don't, we don't do the pranks and things on April Fool's Day because even though you can say repeatedly it's April Fool's Day, some people just don't get the joke, and it it then leads to it leads to problems, it leads to confusion, it can possibly lead to meetings. And as you know, if you're a regular listener, my goal in life is to avoid meetings. Here's here's what McDonald's did. That has sort of blown up in their face. All right. April Fool's Day. Of course, Australia is several hours ahead of us. All right. So McDonald's in Australia decided to they were going to have their own April Fool's Day. They posted a video on Twitter claiming that they were adding a new burger to their lineup. And the burger was going to be called the McPickle. Now, the video, it, it looks like a Big Mac, except instead of instead of meat patties, it's pickles. All right, so here's what they say. Pickle lovers, it's the news you've been waiting for. We're super stoked to announce the launch of our brand new McPickle burger, the Instagram post read. It's time to tuck into juicy, flavorsome pickles layered between melted cheese, ketchup sauce, and toasted sesame seeds buns. It's sure to be a treat for your senses. Okay, so they're announcing the McPickle on April 1st, April Fool's Day. All right. Now, the video that they had was very, very convincing. And again, if you you look at it, it, it's well produced. You go, oh, that's it. Now, it's April Fool's Day. And you would figure that most people would be okay about that and recognize what was going on. Oh, no. Here's some of the comments they got. I'm going to order 1,000. Only, oh, my gosh, it's a burger designed for me. Another person chimed in, pickle problem solved. I I love this. Another one said, it's perfect. Another one said, I want this now. So they're getting all these this positive feedback for the McPickle. And so then they have to kind of say, no, no, it, it's April Fool's Day. This is a joke. And as soon as they announce it's a joke, people break bad on them. <laughs> you know, it's like, how dare you do this? Um, even though this is an April Fool's joke, I would order one. And you know what? This shouldn't be a joke, et cetera, et cetera. So they end up breaking completely bad over the McPickle. Interestingly, though, I don't know. A lot of people said that they might want it. Now, I would not buy a pickle burger, but, you know, who knows? Maybe else somebody would. But anyways, we do not go down this route because inevitably when you tell people that it is an April Fool's Day joke, just kidding, 
what ends up, I'm no, I'm not really giving up the radio show to go on the road with Jimmy Buffett. No, I'm not really doing that because inevitably somebody doesn't get the joke and then you end up getting called into meetings. Interesting follow-up to the Jussie Smollett story. Jussie Smollett is, of course, the, the young African-American gay actor who claimed that he was beaten up by two guys on the coldest day in Chicago at 2 a.m. in the morning, and the guys were wearing Make America Great hats, et cetera, et cetera. And this story got all this national attention. Well, now, of course, it, it turns out that it was all a hoax and that he had actually paid two people, one of whom he knew before, to kind of stage this sort of thing. He was charged with 16 felony counts, and the state's attorney in Chicago, which is the equivalent of the district attorney here, so the the state's attorney, that's just what they call DAs down there, made the decision that they were going to just drop the charges in their entirety. He wouldn't have to plead guilty to anything. He forfeited $10,000 cash bail that he had posted, but now you've got his Smollett's lawyer saying, this just proves he was exonerated, et cetera, et cetera. And the state's attorney's office is saying, oh, nothing to see here. You know, well, interestingly enough, Eric Zorn, who is a liberal columnist for the Chicago Tribune, he started looking around at other sorts of similar cases and how they were handled by the same district attorney's office or state's attorney's office. And here's what he says. In the early morning hours of December 7th, 2017, A couple visiting from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area told Chicago police that three men had robbed them at knife point on Lower Wacker Drive. The man and the woman said the three, um, one of whom looked like Fat Albert, stole $5,000 in cash, a $3,000 Louis Vuitton suitcase, a Burberry purse, a $2,000 MacBook Air laptop, a $300 suitcase, a wallet, and a $150 iPad mini. Okay, so they say, we were, we were robbed, we just got in, this is it. So they make this report. Now, by the way, their, their report doesn't get national or international attention about how all there's all these racists and there's haters and stuff that are operating in in Chicago. It doesn't get national attention. It's just the report, hey, we were robbed, all right? Chicago police then do some do some background checking. What they do is they they go out to the airport. These folks said, "Hey, we got in from Minneapolis. Airport security video showed that this couple had arrived hours earlier." But you know what they didn't have with them? Didn't have any luggage. <laughs> so it, the, the story breaks down quickly, and the two confessed that they filed a police report and that they had lied to police. Now, again, this didn't get international attention, making Chicago look like it was populated by, you know, racists and et cetera, et cetera. But so the, the story breaks down. The pair charged with felony disorderly conduct for filing a police report, just like Smollett was. All right. So in the Smollett case, he he they dropped the charges. Okay, so there's nothing to expunge. The case just goes away. No court, no deferred prosecution agreement that he has to keep his nose clean. It just the case goes away. So how did they handle these two mopes from Minneapolis who made this small level claim? obviously causing a lot less consternation, a lot less use of police resources. All they had to do was go out to the airport, look at the security video, and they could see these people were lying. How did they handle this case? Well, both of them, both of them were required to plead guilty, plead guilty to felony charges. 
They were both, they went through the court system. They were sentenced to two years probation and 30 days of community service. They also had to pay fines. So, okay, so here you have these prosecutors when they're dealing with the, the big TV star, all right, and who say, well, it's perfectly normal to dismiss charges. Well, okay, no, you've got these two mopes from Minneapolis who come in, they make a false claim to the police, which is, again, quickly dispersed. You don't have to spend $130,000 in investigative costs. They're quickly able to tell that these two were lying. They're charged with felonies. Those charges aren't dropped. They have to plead guilty. They go through the court system. They get formal probation so it's on their record, and they get ordered to do 30 days of community service work. Here you have the big-time actor, um, and it's treated differently. Interestingly, the columnist called up the the, um, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office and said, um, I'm just kind of curious. All right, how, how come you treated these guys like this, and, and you treated Smollett like you did? And um, the spokesperson says, we evaluate each individual case based on the facts, circumstances, and evidence, and, and maybe how politically connected they are. Just saying. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. A big fire out in Bayside over the weekend. I know a number of people who over the years have lived at this apartment complex. It is a stone-cold miracle that nobody died, and it's raising some issues about whether or not Wisconsin needs to make some changes to buildings. We will discuss all that in just a moment. Before I forget, a very dear friend of mine, Betsy. Betsy is a hugger. We were talking about huggers earlier. My friend Betsy is a hugger. It's her birthday today, so I want to make sure I send out a very special birthday wish to my dear friend, Betsy. You know, I was talking about when a couple trips ago, end of January, we were coming back from Fort Myers, and our, our flight got delayed like six hours. And what had happened is the flight, the, the, the flight was, it started in Orlando, went to Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids to Fort Myers, and then was going from Fort Myers to Milwaukee. It was delayed for six hours because what ended up happening was a, a TSA guy had committed suicide early in the morning in the Orlando airport. So they had a ground stop and, and none of the planes could get out. And so you had all these planes all across the country, flights canceled, flights delayed. And what really struck me then was how fragile the, the our, our, really how fragile our air traffic system is. And I mean, I'm not downplaying the tragedy. You have a guy who, who died, who kills himself at the Orlando airport, but that one act ended up paralyzing air travel for about half the country for the better part of that day had the same story this morning i mean if you were flying particularly you were flying on southwest or delta your your plane might not have gotten out or it was delayed and part of this is because these airlines use a use a system um, that, that tracks, and they, they have a contractor that does it. This is all computerized, that, that tracks a plane's weight and balance. And it's used in flight planning because the pilots, you know, the pilots, before you can take off, what you have to do is you have to know what the weight of the plane is and you have to know how that's distributed and all. And it, so there's a software system that they use to tell this. Well, apparently the software system went down. And as a result, you know, these planes, 
couldn't fly or they had to do all this stuff manually. Massive delays. It again shows to me how fragile our air traffic control system is and the whole air system is that again, whether it's a guy who commits suicide in Orlando at the airport or here you have a software glitch at some outside vendor and, and flights don't fly. It shows how fragile our air system really is, even in 2019. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about this fire over the weekend. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, did we have Greg in the, the new WTMJ mobile studio, <laughs> the submarine under Lake Michigan? Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. We got him, though. We, we finally connected there. That's it. Okay. <clears throat> it's, 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 yeah. the, it's the joys of live radio. Here we got Greg Matzik live from the WTMJ submarine, <laughs> circling somewhere off the coast of down by Bradford Bay, yeah. you know, yeah. down, down at the bottom of the ocean. That's it. Well, boy, a lot of stuff going on in sports. I mean, I, I for sports fans' perspective, I love this time of the year. I mean, you've got the final. I mean, just look at last weekend. You had these great baseball games. You know, if you're a football fan, you're gearing up for the pro draft. You've got the baseball season started. The NBA season is winding down. At least the regular season is winding down. The final four. You've got uh, the Masters, which starts next week. So you got the big golf tournament. You know, this week, kind of the prep for the Masters. Just a lot of fun. It is a great time for sports fans. Now, if you happen, like I am, to be married to a woman who appreciates sports but doesn't, you know, really like want to sit and watch TV for hours and hours and hours, you know, watching sports, it is a trying time, but she loves me anyways. Okay, this this is a story that has, I mean, I guess there is a silver lining to a, a very dark cloud. Um, Bay, there's this build, apartment building in Bayside. It, it's the White Oaks apartment complex, and chances are, maybe you haven't noticed it, but if, if you drive north on 43, uh, you, you have probably seen it or you've certainly driven past it. It's just north of Brown Deer Road. If you're driving north on I-43, and it would be to the east, so to your right if you are driving north. Um, it's it's on Port Washington Road, which runs parallel to the freeway, I would say maybe a quarter mile north of Brown Deer Road. And it's an apartment complex that's been there for a long time. It's built in 1989. It's four separate buildings that each contain, I don't know, around 60 separate units that are in there. Over the years, I've known, I never lived there myself, but I've known a number of people who've lived there, um, and it's it's a very, very nice apartment complex. Um, What happened on on Friday was that one of the the four-unit build, so there's like four units, and and one has 62 apartments, and it, it caught Fire um, about twelve fifteen a.m. So this is Friday night, Saturday morning. You have this massive fire that that breaks out, flames shooting from the structure. It quickly goes to a you know three alarm blaze. Uh, the story in the Journal Sentinel they quote one woman who says that you know she and her boyfriend are there. They're asleep. Um, they wake up to firefighters kicking down the door. We just put like any clothes on that we can find, and we grabbed our phones. 
that 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 is sort of an interesting. And I'm not going to mock this. I'm trying to think of. All right, you're dead asleep. It's twelve fifteen, Friday night, Saturday morning. All of a sudden, boom! The door to your apartment goes down, and it's firefighters saying, "Get out! Get out! The building's on fire!" What What do you grab? I and then you, but you, you, you grab your phone. I guess that makes sense in a way. For me, first thing we're grabbing is our dog. But you know, eh, the phones might be phones might be second. Anyhow, they get out. They say the whole highway, uh, hallway was filled with smoke. We could barely see. Um, the they were guiding us. There were no sprinklers, no alarms had gone off. Um, and so police and firefighters, these first responders, are going door to door to evacuate sleeping residents. When the smoke became too thick in the hallways, firefighters propped ladders against um, outdoor balconies to bring people to safety. So it's one of these things where there's outdoor balconies. So, I mean, the, the response by these first responders was absolutely amazing. Um, the Bayside police, they're saying, we're very, we're very lucky that nobody died. The cases, the, the fire investigation, it's under investigation. They, they don't think it was suspicious. In other words, they don't think it was arson or something like that. But they believe what happened is the fire had started on an upper floor balcony and then quickly went up the side of the building and got under the roof. And the whole thing just, just goes up in flames. I mean, this is, you know, is a major, this is a big deal with lots of rescues. And again, if you're looking for a silver lining, it's the fact that, you know, nobody died here. Now, the, the dark cloud is you have a number of people who've been dis- dispossessed. They just lost, they lost absolutely everything. And this building is essentially a complete loss. I mean, it appears that, and I don't know if there was damage to the other buildings as well. But here's, here's the interesting thing. First of all, a number of the residents said we didn't hear fire alarms. And so th- that's question number one. You know, did fire alarms in the hallways, did they malfunction? You know, why Why didn't all the fire alarms go off if, if in fact, they didn't? A number of residents are saying they did not hear them that them go off. So, you know, what what went on there? The other interesting thing is that there were no sprinklers except in the underground garage. There were no sprinklers. Now, this is interesting because it goes back to, I don't know, some decisions that lawmakers have made. Nowadays, if you were to build a multifamily apartment building of this size, more than 20 units, if they were to build this new, it would have to have a sprinkler system in it. The law is very, very clear. White Oaks was built in 1989. So since it was built in 1989, it was built in accordance with the code that was in existence at the time, and the code did not require a sprinkler system in there. There is no requirement that these older buildings be retrofitted with sprinklers. So as a result, you have, again, apartment buildings like White Oaks, which don't have sprinkler systems because they were built in 1989. But if you built it in 2019, it would have a sprinkler system. Now, the flip side of this is it is expensive to go in and try to retrofit these older apartment buildings. It's very expensive to put in sprinkler systems, but it can be done. As a matter of fact, in some cities, they have required 
these multi-unit apartment buildings to, um, again, retrofit and to put in sprinklers. It is not uncommon, but it does, in fact, happen. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. New construction has to have sprinklers. Old construction doesn't. Does that need to be rethought or changed? Should owners of old apartment buildings be required either um, when they're doing remodeling or just as a rule, should they be required to put in a sprinkler system um, to retrofit the buildings so that presumably if something like what happened on Friday night happened again, the damage would be potentially minimized by sprinklers going off. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need more sprinkler systems? Is that practical? We discuss. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, this big fire at, at the White Oaks apartment complex, which if, if you travel around the North Shore, you know it. If you've driven north on I-43, you've driven past it. It's just north of Brown Deer Road. Massive fire. What I, I think happened is you had a fire that started on a balcony. It went, it, it got to the roof. And then my understanding is they, they this, this entire apartment building 62 units shares a common roof so once it got to the the roof above the 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 one off the balcony it just spread throughout and now the building's a complete loss the building was put up in 1989 it does not have a sprinkler system there's sprinklers in an underground garage the law does not require that if you were to build building new you would have to put in a sprinkler system and that brings the question of you know should the law be changed to require uh, residential buildings to be retrofitted with sprinklers jeff in fox point jeff your neck of the woods good afternoon hey jeff i am really sorry about what happened but i i don't think that that sprinklers are really a practical thing to do because false alarms can happen, testing can happen, and those things would trigger the, the sprinklers, which might ruin people's property. Well, of course, we, I mean, they are required in new construction. So, I mean, if they rebuild, they're going to have to put in sprinklers. I mean, is that a, is that a problem with that? Well, I guess it would depend on where, where, they, where they might be. You know, hopefully there's a way they can shut the sprinklers off. If it, if it, you know, it is a false alarm or some right. kind of a testing thing. You know, the other concern is what about the fire alarms? I mean, did the fire alarms not go off? Um, that's, I think that's a, a very fair question as well because a number of the residents were saying they didn't hear any fire alarms. Um, the first thing they heard about this was when the, the firefighters and the police bang in their doors and come get them out. I lived there in that same building about six years ago. Yeah. And, and, um, I do remember when I first moved in that there was a fire, a false fire alarm. And it was extremely loud, but I don't know what what the status of them are right now. Yeah. No, thanks to call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, here, here's the bottom line of this. To And this comes from the perspective of somebody who used to live in a in an older home. I'm talking about going on 100 years. The, the, the cost of retrofitting older apartment buildings is, is just enormous i mean it and, that, and that's why most cities don't require this on don't require retrofitting it, you know if you're building it new it's expensive but you can do it 
um, to try to go in and tear up walls and establish this and tear up ceilings for multi-unit, multi-floor apartment buildings. The the expense is, is just so prohibitive that it's probably not a practical thing. So I, I don't think you need to change this. I do think... If you are making, you know, major improvements to a building, I think it's something that maybe the code should look at that, you know, if you're going to be tearing up the walls and tearing up the ceilings anyways, you know, maybe you should have to look at putting a sprinkler system in. I I just don't think it's practical to say to every apartment owner, though, who's had, you know, an apartment building that's been built in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or whatever, you've got to go in and you've got to tear up the walls. It's just, it's a risk that I think people run. Um, Vic in Fox Point, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Yes, sir. Uh, I have a comment. I'm just down the road from that complex. I'm in Fox Point. I'm just south of uh, Brown Deer Road. Okay. And I'm in a three unit uh, uh, complex, and boy, I'm sure the owners are uh, studying that. To, to yeah. And the uh, lady who salvaged her wedding dress is the coordinator for our prostate cancer support group at mm-hmm. Columbia St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And they're getting married next month, and uh, apparently they have already shipped a lot of their uh, things to Texas, so... Hopefully, you know, they didn't lose that much. Well, it's a miracle. Given the time of night, it's a miracle that nobody ended up losing their life in connection with this. But another question, I can't imagine uh, how it spread that quickly. My gosh, the uh, North Shore Fire Department is just down the road on Brown Deer, and the Brown Deer... Uh, isn't that maybe three miles? How how it was able to get you know that just exploded? What? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I mean, thanks. I think. I mean, I don't. I, th- you know, this will come out. I mean, I, I actually used to do a lot of firework back in another life. Um, but I mean, I think what happened is, I, I think this was a, a one of the upper level bal- fires was one on one of the upper level balconies. Somehow it got up into the roof. It's a common roof, is my understanding. And then once it got up in the roof, boom! It just it just spread across. And and then it went from there. But again, it's the, it's a miracle that that there wasn't a loss of life. Obviously, I mean, there's two questions. Number one is, were there fire alarms? Were there smoke detectors? Why weren't things you know going off? But you know, we don't require we we don't require sprinkler systems in in residential construction. I mean, I don't I don't have a sprinkler system in in my house. So I mean, I, I think for new construction, it's one thing for to retrofit, while it's a good idea, I, I just don't think it's practical to require it. But at the same time, it would certainly be nice to have. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to James in Waukesha. James, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Um, yeah, I just I don't agree with you know forcing a builder of private business to, to put in a sprinkler system. Um, if it's New construction or retrofit? Or uh, both? Or both. Okay. I guess I, I put both on this one. Um, you know, the, from my, my thinking, more regulation, more problems, um, less freedom. I guess, you know, if there's going to be a fire, it's your job as a consumer to, to want to, to check to see if there are going to be sprinklers, right? And if, um, if you need a place of sprinklers, then you'll go to a place of sprinklers. And if it's not a, uh, not a concern of yours, then you're not going to go to that one. We'll let the free hand decide as opposed to, letting the government tell us, you know, who's going to be our daddy and and save us in the case of fire. Well, but at the same time, and again, let's talk about new construction. So, I mean, because I get retrofitting is extremely expensive and difficult, and maybe in some of these older residential buildings, just not practical. So let's put that aside. I mean, for new construction, though, we have all sorts of 
you know, you have all sorts of zoning requirements. You have government requirements in, in certain, not around here, but in certain parts of the country. If you have new construction, it has to be built to withstand winds of a certain, you know, uh, of, a, of a certain size. Do you disagree with stuff like that? Definitely. And, uh, you know, I can, I can speak as somebody on the lake. Uh, you know, I, I live on a, on a lake out in the county, and, uh, you know, we, luckily enough, we have a, a, uh, a boathouse. But if I were to demolish that boathouse, I could no longer build a boathouse. Right. Uh, and it's just one of those cases of, you know, them telling us what to do. And just, uh, like I said, if, if there would be, you know, a problem in the future where with a builder who had these problems and, uh, that it happened again, then, you mm-hmm. know, that the people would know not to decide to, to move there and they yeah. go out of business. Hopefully. But, yeah. Like, so. I guess, I mean, thanks. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Let the free market decide. I guess I, see, I don't go that far. I mean, I think government do, does have a role and in setting, Certain requirements. That's like, for example, if you're going to build new construction in, in certain areas of Florida, maybe all of Florida, if I know, but certainly um, anywhere within the water, there are there are standards. The construction has to be of such a level to make sure that it's going to be able to sustain winds of a, of a certain amount. So the idea being, if you have that hurricane, you don't have that catastrophic loss of life or, or damage, or at least maybe it's the potential of minimizing it. So I, I don't want to say that government has no role because I don't believe that. I mean, I think government has every right to say, okay, there, there are certain standards here and we're going to regulate the type of building materials that can be used because we don't, for example, want the whole city to go up in, in flames. You know, <laughs> you know. So yes, you have to use certain types of building materials and you have to use certain methods. So I think the city or a community has every right, a state has every right to do that. The question becomes where the balancing is. I support the laws that we have on the books. Like I say, if you were, my understanding is, if if they decide to rebuild that place at White Oaks, well, they're going to have to put sprinklers in the new construction. That's my at least understanding of of state law there. Um, Where you go from there, don't know. But I mean, to me, those are the two questions. First of all, you know, did the smoke, were there smoke alarms? Did the fire alarms, did these alarms go off? If not, why not? Because that's a really... That's a big deal to alert the residents. Secondly, sprinklers, nice, probably not practical to require them. And I guess maybe the big takeaway of this whole story is what a tremendous job the first responders did up in that area on Friday night. Because, again, you're talking a massive blaze that started quickly. And, you you know, in the middle of the night. I mean, it's 1215. My guess is lots and lots, if not most people were asleep and they were able to get everybody out with, while certainly a property loss, no loss of life. And that's a tribute to the first responders. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. That ad being run by uh, Angela Foy, who's one of the candidates for circuit court bench in Ozaki County. I've known, uh, I, I've known, I know her. I know her her father in law extremely well, and I think she's a just an absolutely great candidate. Would make a, a great judge. But it reminds me of the fact that there is an election tomorrow. It will be a low turnout race. You can no longer early vote. So if, if you haven't voted. If you haven't voted yet, you got to go out and you got to vote tomorrow. If you don't vote tomorrow, it's going to be too late because tomorrow is, in fact, Election Day. There are a number of races, a number of communities have referendums. In Milwaukee, there is a contested judicial race, just one contested race. Uh, Governor Walker appointees being challenged by a sort of very, very left-wing opponent. 
Um, I, I don't make any predictions as to how that's going to work out. And then there is the Ozaki County race. Again, you just saw her, um, Angela Foy, who's one of the candidates. She's running in that race. But everybody is going to have a chance to vote for the state Supreme Court. And you've probably heard some of the ads. There are two candidates. One is one is a conservative with ties to the Walker administration, and that would be Brian Hagedorn, who is the conservative candidate. He's an appellate court judge out in Waukesha. He is running against Lisa Neubauer. Lisa Neubauer is the liberal candidate. Um, she has significant ties to the state Democratic Party. She has been, you know, at least her family has been activist Democrats for pretty much her, her entire career. She is also a judge in the Waukesha Appellate Court. They are they, they approach things, I think, completely and totally different. Um, Neubauer is part of an, an ongoing effort by the left in the state to try to retake the Supreme Court. Um, the, you know, I think everybody knows that you have seven judges on the state Supreme Court. Right now, the balance is four conservatives, three liberals. One of those liberals, Justice Shirley Abramson, is, is retiring. And so this is to fill the Abramson seat. Um, the plan that the left in Wisconsin has is hold this seat and then go after Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly when he is up for election next year, and then the left hopes to retake control of the Supreme Court. If that happens, what you will essentially be doing is turning over governance governance of this state to the Dane County Circuit Court, because what ends up happening is you have these very, very liberal judges in the Dane County Circuit Court bench who issue rulings. So far, because you have a conservative Supreme Court, you've been able to keep them in check, which is why you know Act 10 was upheld and things like that. The the plan is, I think, from the left, if you can't win elections to elect state representatives and state senators, what you want to do is you want to take control of the Supreme Court, and that then essentially allows the Dane County Circuit Court that hears a lot of these cases. That will allow them to set the tempo and decide, you know, what can pass for laws in Wisconsin. So it is a very, very significant race. Brian Hagedorn, I think, has been unfairly labeled um you know it, it's interesting because th- this is the way you go after conservatives nowadays it's oh they're, they're haters you know brian hagedorn is an evangelical christian and all right um as far as i can tell that has never seeped into his legal rulings but because he is an evangelical christian you know what happens is you have you know some of the the real sort of scummy you know, dark money outfits that run these ads saying, oh, he's part of a hate group. He's part of this hate group. He's part of that hate group. Brian Hagedorn is a really decent guy, you know, a father of a couple. One of the great life-defining things for Hagedorn is he and his wife, you know, adopted a an opioid-addicted child, you know, to try to offer the child a better life. I mean, it's a really compelling life story, and, and I don't know how this race is going to turn out. The, the left poured over a million dollars into like negative ads, you know, um, or ads either promoting Neubauer or trying to just smear Hagedorn. Recently, you've seen conservative spending that's really kind of ramped up. My sense is there must be private polling out there saying that this race is close or else you wouldn't put this money into it. I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I, I, I just don't. But um, that that's the choice. It is very, very stark. You've got Brian Hager and you've got Lisa Neubauer. One is an unabashed liberal. One is a conservative. 
Um, we'll see. Typically, conservatives have been able to win ra- statewide court races in Wisconsin, at least up until the last election. And I guess the left is, uh, is feeling emboldened. Tony Evers won last November, so the left seems to think that, you know, Lisa Neubauer will win in a walk tomorrow. That might be the case, but it won't if, you know, a, a number of the Scott Walker type of voters, the Donald Trump type of voters, the Ron Johnson voters get out and vote. And that's one of the things that's tough to predict. All right. As long as we want to talk about falsely being labeled as haters or members of hate group, etc., there's a fascinating story. First, it came out of San Antonio. Now it is coming out of Buffalo. I'm wondering how long it's going to be before it happens here. I'll tell you about it in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, let me be real clear here. I I don't eat a lot of fast food anymore, but... One of the things, there's certain fast food brands that I think do stuff well. And I'm a fan of Chick-fil-A. Um, there's, there's not a Chick-fil-A close to where I live, but I, I, I enjoy the Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I think they do what they do extremely well. The owners, the, the group that, the people that own the Chick-fil-A franchises, they're the company, are, I, I'm going to say evangelical Christians, and I, I guess I, I'd be willing to be, you know, corrected on that. But but the found the, the the founders and the people that own the company have very very firm religious beliefs. For example, Chick Fil A is not open on Sunday. There is a Chick Fil A um, stand at Pfizer Forum. If you go there on a Sunday game, if the Bucks are playing or there's a concert or Marquette is playing or whatever, that is closed. And it's because, that as a company philosophy, they believe that Sunday should be a day of rest and it should be a day that you stay home with your families, etc. They are closed on Sunday. Also, the owners of the, the business, the owners of the company, have supported various religious causes. They have, for example, a foundation. And the foundation has given recently hundreds of thousands of dollars to I hope you're sitting down here, the Fellowship for Christian Athletes, which you have perhaps, if you watch college football or anything, maybe you've heard about. The Fellowship for Christian Athletes, because these are Christian athletes, um, they, they have certain policies, and for example, that they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I mean, that, that's the philosophy. It is based in this particular religious tenet, and they have supported it. Now, let's also be really clear here. There is no evidence at all anywhere that Chick-fil-A has in any way, shape, or form ever discriminated against people based on, let's say, sexual orientation. So there's no evidence at all that they have refused to serve um, same-sex couples. There's no evidence that they have refused to hire somebody based on same, uh, based on their sexual orientation. It is simply that the owners of the company have certain beliefs based on their own religious upbringing and that they have used their money to support causes that are consistent with their religious beliefs, not unlike I don't know. Um, let's say, you know, you go to, let's say you go to a Catholic church and, you know, you know, Catholicism still teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. All right. You put that money in the plate. You are supporting that. 
your, that church. Does that mean that you are a hater of people based on sexual orientation? I would argue no, but that, that's the story. So anyhow, here is the deal. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. They were remodeling a, a, a wing in the San Antonio airport, you know, like in like a concourse in Milwaukee. And they were going to put a Chick-fil-A in, have a bunch of other fast food. Well, a couple members of the San Antonio Common Council found out about this, and they nixed the idea. They said, nope, Chick-fil-A, the, the company is a bunch of haters, and, you know, we're not going to, you know, let it come in. Interestingly enough, that San Antonio is now under investigation by the Texas Attorney General for violating a whole slew of anti-religious discrimination laws. But anyhow, the Chick-fil-A story gets more interesting. All right, Chick-fil-A had planned to open up a shop inside Buffalo Niagara International Airport. So again, the same sort of thing. They're remodeling the the wing, the concourse, etc. They want to put the um they want to put the Chick-fil-A in. Last Thursday, it was approved, and apparently now they've pulled back approval. Here, for example, is like one of the um, one one of the the notes that they got. I was disappointed to learn of the decision to introduce Chick-fil-A, a restaurant option at the Buffalo Niagara International Airport. Chick-fil-A has a long history of supporting and funding anti-LGBTQ organizations. In fact, the San Antonio City Council recently rejected a plan to open a Chick-fil-A at the San Antonio International Airport due to the company's discriminatory advocacy. As a state entity, entity the board has a responsibility to avoid doing business with corporations who fund hateful and divisive groups. Again, this is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that is creating this particular issue. Um, let's see. The note I'm looking at says, as you may be aware, the New, New York State currently has a state-funded travel ban in place uh, for travel to North Carolina due to a law allowing for transgender discrimination, etc., etc., um, allowing Chick-fil-A to do business at the Buffalo Airport help spread hate and discrimination. All right, you get the idea. And so now the, the board that regulates this has said, yep, we're going to stop Chick-fil-A from coming in. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this is another example of the tyranny of the minority. You have, again, a responsible, popular company. What, 145,000 employees, I, I believe, um, who, who work for Chick-fil-A. Um, the owners, yeah, the, the owners have certain religious beliefs, and the owners choose through their foundation to support certain groups, like the Fellowship for Christian Athletes. Should that be a basis for public entities to say you are not welcome to do business, in this case, in our airport. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this is religious intolerance of the highest order, and I hope Chick-fil-A goes after San Antonio, and I hope they go after Buffalo for denying them the right to do business. 414-799-1620. This is the new discrimination. Should Chick-fil-A be able to operate wherever it chooses? My answer would be, yeah. If you can have a Taco Bell and you can have any of these other things, you should be able to have a Chick-fil-A. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. I have to tell you, this whole controversy makes me 
think that when I get off the air at 3 o'clock, I want to drive out to Brookfield and get myself a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Let's start with Kelly in Waukesha. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Okay, I used to work for Chick-fil-A when I was in high school, and there was never any discrimination at all. We had um, all different kinds of people. We had I know of three people that couldn't work Friday night until, like, into Saturday night because they were Seventh-day activists or whatever. Um, they, You know, there was never any discrimination at all. I think these people that are, you know, up in arms about this <clears throat> are drunk with power. Well, right, and and, and and here's here's the beef. It's not nobody alleges that Chick Fil A has ever refused to hire somebody because of their sexual orientation, or the Chick Fil A has ever denied service to somebody based on Chick Fil A based on based on their sexual orientation. The whole thing is that there's this thing called the Chick Fil A Foundation, which is funded by the founders. And mm-hmm. I, I hope you're sitting down because they they've donated money to the Salvation Army. <laughs> they oh, don't no. No, right the Salvation <laughs> Army that no I'm I'm not making this up the Salvation Army that has been accused of anti LGBTQ discrimination they've given money to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and then to some youth home that that's it that this is they gave money to the Salvation <laughs> Army so I guess Kelly if you put some money in that one of those bell the the red kettles at, at Christmas mm-hmm. you too are are a hater. That I don't know shouldn't be eligible I guess, for contracts. I guess I am then. I guess I'm a hater. <laughs> I, I just don't understand it. They were never they they were never but good to us. Yeah. I mean, we met the owners. I mean, they had they had big you know they had parties and stuff for us for hmm. doing a good job. I mean, they, there was never anything. You you never felt uncomfortable in any situation well, with them. No, right? No, thanks for calling. Now again, th- this is you, you can agree or disagree with the religious teachings that say that marriage is between a man and a woman, okay? You, you, you can agree or disagree with that, but because you have that traditional view of marriage, because it's what your religion teaches, does that make you a hater? I mean, and that's really what this is. How dare you support the Salvation Army, for goodness sakes? This is how, through the looking glass, we've gone. Linda in Green Lake. Linda, you're in WTMJ. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. And... Uh, I guess I'm, in a way, I'm reiterating the previous caller, but I actually would like to see real actual proof that the people who own and or run Chick-fil-A have ever, ever encouraged any actions that were hateful. Oh, no, it's, it's not and that. It, it's based on they gave, they gave money to the Salvation Army. They don't. I'm looking at the. They, they donated their tax. They got this foundation. They donated money to the Salvation Army. They donated money to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's what makes them haters. But see, that's not that's not proof that there have been any actions at all nope. taken. No, nope, nope. nope. That, I, that were hateful, and and to, you you could be accused of anything. Right. Well, but no, that the, doesn't mean that that you're guilty of it. Right. If no, there's no proof. Well, no, I mean, thanks. No, no. The, the, the proof is and there's no question. I mean, they have a foundation. The foundation donates money to different causes. They gave money to the Salvation Army. That is the act by supporting the Salvation Army, which apparently some of these people seem to think is the equivalent of a hate group. By supporting them, you become haters. All right, here's the way that you respond to this. First of all, the Texas Attorney General and the New York Attorney General should be suing the you-know-what um, off of anybody that's discriminated against Chick-fil-A and denied them the right to do it. And as far as the rest of us, we should go out and get us a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Just saying. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you know what uh, the, the most feedback I've been getting from any segment we've done so far in the first two hours of the program? Yes, you've got it in one. Here, let, let's set the tempo here. Yes, that's my gift to you, the Earworm, the Family Feud theme song. Now, it's changed a little bit over the years, but that's the original from 1976 to 1985 when Richard Dawson was the host. Now, why were we talking about this earlier? Well, if, if you, this is how we actually started the program at 12 noon. By the way, um, if you missed any of the show, you can do okay. We people we have the idea. We got the idea. That's if you if you uh, missed any of the show, you can go to the WTMJ mobile app. I know a lot of people do it because I see the numbers every month, and you can subscribe to the podcast. That's the first thing my producer does after the show ends. Well, maybe one of the first things he does is puts it all together, and we post the podcast every day. But during the um, the twelve o'clock hour, we started off. I, I for everybody who is appalled that the Joe Biden gee Joe Biden came up and he in 2014, he put his hands on the shoulders of this woman who was running for lieutenant governor and kissed the back of her head. For everybody who's appalled by that, I do, I have, it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of video. Somebody took the time to go through the entire Family Feud show in 1980 and put together a nine-minute, a nine-minute segment that shows all the women that Richard Dawson, who was the host of the Family Feud, kissed on the lips in two thousand uh, in the in the um, nineteen eighty season of Family Feud, and I bring this up only because it, it just it's kind of it's a different time and things change and things evolve, but. Um, it is a kind of a blast for the past. So if you want to see that, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Sent out a link to that, and I'm getting a lot of feedback on that. And, of course, it was McDonald's April Fool's Day joke that kind of backfired because, well, some people have no sense of humor. They put out this ad announcing a new sandwich. It's the uh, McPickle that instead of, you know, having the – it's a big thing, Big Mac, except without – Without the beef patties, instead, it's got like a whole bunch of pickles. And you can check out the video that created all that controversy as well if you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 on WTMJ. All right. At the end of last week, there was an interesting story in the Journal Sentinel that I thought made for a very interesting conversation. That's what I want to discuss with you. Now, let me kind of back into this topic. Whenever I travel, particularly when I travel overseas, I always make a point recognizing that you are going to a different country. I always make a point of reading all the information I get from the travel company or whatever about the, the different rules in different countries because different countries behave in different fashions. And, you know, if you are a guest, just because you assume that we do one something here in the United States doesn't mean you should assume that the same thing is going to be okay in a foreign country. You know, and it starts with things, I was telling the story the other day, it starts with things like passports. Um, I'm going to Europe with a listener cruise in September. My passport expires in January. Well, you're, you're not you're not allowed to travel if the international travel is six months before the expiration date. So I, last week I got all the information together and sent it off, and hopefully I'll get my passport in the next couple of weeks and I will be good to go. But it's little things like that. When it comes to firearms, 
Well, I mean, here here's a free lesson from a recovering attorney. When it comes to firearms and guns, if you decide that you are going to bring guns with you, you, you need to check the laws of whatever country you're going to. Because just because you can do something in Wisconsin doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it elsewhere. Now, we've had stories before about since in many cases there is not reciprocity. And what that means is, all right, Wisconsin has a rule. And just because you're following a rule in Wisconsin doesn't mean that you can go to Minnesota and have that same law apply. You know, we've had stories about guns. Just because you've got a concealed carry permit that allows you to carry a firearm under certain circumstances in Wisconsin, if you, for example, go to New York, New York has a much different and a much stricter law. And just because you're legally allowed to do it in Wisconsin, you try to do the same thing in New York City, and there's a decent chance that you're going to get arrested. We've talked about those stories before. So here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports this story. Um, Lady. This lady's ship had anchored at Georgetown in the Cayman Islands last month, the first stop on a nine-night Caribbean cruise that had left from Florida. Once in port on February 3rd, the 68-year-old Madison woman got a notice that her third piece of luggage, which hadn't arrived with her flight from Wisconsin to Fort Lauderdale, had been found and flown down to the Georgetown airport. So she leaves Wisconsin, going on this cruise, goes through Fort Lauderdale, and then she ends up, you know, Georgetown in the Cayman Islands. I have never been to the Cayman Islands. I guess we put that on the put that on the bucket list. Although some people say they are not hospitable to people from the United States. In any event, okay, so the third bag doesn't make it. They find it. They ship it down to the Cayman Islands. It's flown to the Georgetown airport. When the lady goes to pick it up, According to the Journal Sentinel, her vacation turns into an expensive lesson in how American gun rights don't always travel well, and it could land her in a foreign prison. See, inside that third bag, they x-ray it, and they find a twenty-five caliber handgun, small caliber handgun, with six rounds of ammunition. You know, she says, well, yeah, but I, I have a Wisconsin concealed carry permit. And they say, your Wisconsin concealed carry permit doesn't mean jack in the Cayman Islands. It's illegal to possess an unlicensed firearm. Conviction carries a mandatory seven-year prison term upon a guilty plea. Ten years if convicted at trial unless the court finds exceptional circumstances. So apparently um, what happened is... This lady, 68-year-old lady from Madison, spends three nights in jail before they release her on $10,000 bail and the surrender of her passport. She was living in a hotel with an evening curfew while awaiting trial next month. Um, Later, she was given permission to travel, and now she's back in, in Madison. So the question becomes... Does she ever go back to the Cayman Islands to stand trial on this? But I mean, obviously, I understand what what happened. The lady thinks she's got a concealed carry. She's got a concealed carry permit. Um, she's allowed to possess the firearm, so she puts the gun in her bag. And next thing you know, now, now she's in the Cayman Islands, and her concealed carry permit doesn't matter. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now. Obviously, 
under these circumstances, a seven-year mandatory prison sentence would seem to be, at least in my opinion, completely and totally ridiculous for what appears to be an honest mistake. So the question becomes, you know, what what is this lady going to do and how does she handle it? But I, I think there's a larger issue here beyond just this case, which is, all right, is this a sympathetic situation? You know, do when you travel like this, if you decide, hey, I'm going to take a gun, do you pretty much say, okay, you, you get what you deserve for not checking out and making sure that, you know, you're not going to be violating any laws of that particular country? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you sympathetic to this lady? Um, is this a miscarriage of justice, or should she have known better? 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Let's start with Deanne in Milwaukee. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, so the lady has this gun in her luggage She's in the Cayman Islands. Now she's looking at seven years in prison. Uh, whose fault is this? Well, I took a conceal and carry class. I have my conceal and carry. They make it perfectly clear during those classes what to, to look for different state rules, let alone different country rules. And I wouldn't take my gun across the state lines if I didn't know where yeah. or what their rule was, because if you get stopped, you can get in big trouble. I mean, out in Virginia, I think a... A mom of a couple kids stopped to stay overnight, got in big trouble for having a conceal and carry when she wasn't supposed to in that state. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's really her fault for not looking into what the rules were. I think it's a pretty steep penalty. Yeah, but you really need to be a, a smarter gun owner than that. Well, yeah, I guess see that's kind of how I look at it. Now, and to me, a sixty-eight year old woman. You know, under these circumstances, which is clearly, I, I think, a, a mistake, to talk about seven years in prison is absolutely absurd. I mean, it, it, yeah, that, that's crazy. right. It, it, right, but but putting that aside, it, it's tough for me to be too sympathetic because you know you 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 have an obligation to check on this, and you know, I mean, it's kind of like. You know, somebody coming into the United States from, you know, another country and saying, oh, I, I had no idea I couldn't bring in 20 kilos of heroin or something like that. It's just, you got to check the laws. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as a responsible gun owner, that is your duty to check those out before you take your gun anywhere. Right. Now, thanks for calling. Now, this is obviously going to be an expensive lesson, and I, I, I'm hoping, I mean, the, the way this should work out is the State Department should be intervening, and I, I don't know what the, the fine is. And, you know, it, it's, again, it, it's ridiculous to talk about putting this woman in jail, in prison for seven years for this under these circumstances. But having said that, it, it's it's one of these deals where she started this ball in motion by making the decision to put this gun in her suitcase and take it not just, you know, across state lines, but take it overseas. And apparently a, a number of other Americans have been caught up in this. And, again, as part of the story, they, they talk about a Miami builder who also has a residence in the Cayman Islands, and you know, he talks about how you know, anti-American the folks in the Cayman Islands are and how aggressive they are with this type of stuff. Well, you just, you just got to know those kind of things. Mike and Teresa, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I uh, just wanted to make mention on this. I think that um, ignorance of the law is no defense. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I have been down to the Caymans on numerous occasions. And um, one of the things people will realize is that um, actually the police down there do not carry anything but a taser or a club. They do not carry firearms. Okay. That's how safe the country is. And um, So they don't want the tourists being better armed than the police, in other words. Right. Yeah. A- absolutely. And the people there are some of the most friendliest and accommodating people in the world. Do you yeah, go? Do you go for business or for vacate or for for pleasure both. or both? Okay, both. Yeah, yeah actually for both. Okay. Um, so you know, you just have to understand when you're going into a particular country what the rules are. Yeah. And if you if you break the rules, there's consequences. Right now, what should happen here? Would you agree with me that seven years in prison for this lady under these circumstances would be ridiculous? No, I, it it you know she maybe has to pay some sort of fine. Right. But that's it. But I do know that their rules on there are very stringent. There was also in that article a thing about a guy that had a twenty-two shell in his backpack. Yeah. And yeah. he was fined $1,000 or something like that. Right, yep. So that's yep. kind of ridiculous, too. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, that's what the rules are. Well, it, it is. No, thanks. You know, it, it, look, and I haven't, I don't. I travel more domestically than, than overseas, but every once in a while we, we end up going overseas. And that's, that, that's, you know, one of the things that when you talk to these travel companies and stuff, they will always be very, very clear that it, it's a whole different set of rules. And, you know, what you can do in this country is, is different than what you can do in other countries. And you have to understand when you go there, you play by other people's rules. If you've ever been through, like security at an airport in in Germany, for example, the one it's just I, I'm always I'm amazed with like German efficiency and the no nonsense approach to things. But that's okay. That's the way that this is. And while again, my basic premise is to talk about putting this woman in prison for seven years is absolutely absurd. At the same time, um, I, you know, you, you just she brought the gun. She put the gun in her bag, and she shouldn't have done that. Randy in Escanaba. Hi, Randy. You're on WTMJ. How do you do? Um. Yeah, I, it, I think the woman was, woman was completely silly about that, and uh, I, I, uh, I don't go any further than Wisconsin without checking my favorite handgun site, which is handgunusa.com, and it has maps of reciprocity and such like that. And you know, you you know, you don't go to Puerto Rico, you don't go to the Virgin Islands, and you don't go to another country yeah. without knowing how friendly they are on the other end. Well, well right, and and then uh, now, in, in all fairness, I don't. You know, she, she's going on a on a cruise. I I don't know why I don't know why you throw a handgun in in the bag to begin with. But putting that aside, right? You you sure don't do it unless you research all the different ports of call and decide. You know, if you're going to have if you're going to have the gun or not. That's that's just the burden that you have as a handgun owner. Yeah, and uh, well, she paid the ten thousand dollars apparently, and uh, they allowed her to travel. If uh, if she decides not to go back, and uh, that's the end of that, uh, she should count herself lucky. Well, right now, thank, thanks. I mean, I guess now again, I don't. I, don't, I better be careful here. I don't. I don't. I don't play a lawyer on the radio with this stuff. I don't give them legal advice. But if it's, if it's, all I'm going to say, if this, if this was me, and they were telling me that Jeff, if you come back to the Cayman Islands, you're going to stand trial, and if you get convicted of having the gun in your luggage, which you had the gun in your luggage, it's a mandatory seven year prison term. I think I might be inclined to just kind of let that let that bond go, and then just kind of cross the Cayman Islands off my list. Now I don't know what I don't know what she's going to end up deciding to do. And and again, it, it's it's a ridiculous penalty, but it's tough to be sympathetic 
because, I mean, it appears that, you know, she should have checked on the rules before you ended up doing this. Yeah, seven years in prison, and let, let's let's get real about it. But but nevertheless, bottom line is, if you're going to be traveling, and this isn't just overseas, if you're going to be traveling anywhere and you choose to bring a gun with you, just like our last couple of callers have said, you know, you've got the burden to figure out, you know, what do I have to do to do it? And if you just assume I got a Wisconsin concealed carry permit, that's going to cover me. That would be a huge mistake. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. About four years ago, CVS Pharmacies decided that they were going to try to, I don't know if it would be fair to say rebrand, but they decided that they, they, they wanted to add, they put the name Health, in their 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 overall name and they wanted to be more than just like a convenience store and a drug store they really wanted to promote a healthier image and, and really go after being a partner and making people healthier and that's been part of their branding that they've done for a number of years one of the things that they did in order to accomplish that is they said we're not going to sell cigarettes anymore in our store. Maybe you remember that. I know we talked about it at the time. Now, most people who smoke buy their cigarettes. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, would you like to guess where most people buy their cigarettes? Gas stations. Absolutely. You got it in one. All right, right. Gas stations are, are number one. By far the most cigarettes are sold in gas stations. Then it's convenience stores. Then it's tobacco shops, then it's other, whatever that would be, and, and then it's then it's drugstores. So drugstores represent a, a small portion of the overall cigarette sales. But to give you an idea as to how significant cigarette sales are, CVS estimated so when they stopped selling cigarettes in in 2014, and their argument was, well, look, we're trying to promote health. And whatever else cigarettes may or may not be, they are not a health food. They are not a health product. Now we're still selling booze and we're selling other stuff, but but we're not going to sell cigarettes. But to give you an idea, and even though drugstores, it's, it's a small percentage of their business, they estimate that th- dropping tobacco cost CVS about two billion dollars a year in lost revenue. $2 billion a year. Now, that wasn't all tobacco sales, but it was other sales as well because maybe somebody decides, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to buy a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, and I'm also going to buy some toothpaste and some Listerine or, or whatever. So, But they estimate by, by dropping the cigarettes and not selling those, it costs them and continues to cost them about $2 B as in billion dollars a year in sales. So where am I going with this? Well, okay, what's the nation's other big drugstore chain? And that would be Walgreens. Walgreens did not follow suit. They did not drop cigarette sales. And it's been interesting because they have come under pressure. Matter of fact, there's a story in today's Wall Street Journal. Um, investors are pushing Walgreens to get out of the cigarette business. Um, the, the chief executive is saying, well, look, the safety of our patients is very important, but we also have to do what our customers are requiring us to do. 
we see that when we don't sell tobacco, we have a lot of negative reaction. So Walmart's got all these different like owners who are saying, you know, stockholders are saying it's not consistent for a drugstore to be selling cigarettes. And they're kind of pushing back and saying, well, you know, we, we'd like people to stop smoking, but we don't see our role as being, you know, if they decide that they want to smoke, well, you know, we, we think that we should provide them, you know, with the opportunity to do it. So they say what we're willing to do is we're willing to take a couple stores on a test basis and we won't sell cigarettes in a couple stores. But don't look for us to do this across all the stores we own anytime soon. All right. I am fascinated by this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. CVS made the decision a couple years ago that, that said, look, it's just it's not consistent with you know what we're trying to do, promoting good health and things like that. It's not consistent for us to continue to sell cigarettes. And we're willing to take this position even if it's going to cost us two B as in billion dollars a year. Um, in contrast, Walgreens is saying, no, we're going to, at least for the time being, we are going to continue to sell cigarettes because even though, well, we appreciate that we'd probably prefer that people stop smoking, right now our customers want cigarettes and we're going to continue to give them cigarettes. 414-799-1620, what do you think about Walmart's stance here? And I think there's a number of issues. Should Walmart stop selling cigarettes like CVS did? Um, we'll discuss this and a number of other things related to this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Walgreens says we're going to continue. Walgreens says we're going to continue to sell cigarettes. Are they doing the right thing? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Four years ago, CVS. Saying, hey, look, we're, we're, we're more than just a drugstore. We're your partners in health. Made a decision to stop selling tobacco products. That, they say, cost them about two B as in billion dollars a year in revenue. Not all tobacco products, but also people who come in to buy cigarettes and bought other stuff as well. Walgreens is under pressure to do the same thing. Walgreens so far has been refusing to do that. And what their line is, hey, look, you know, we're our, we sell tobacco, but we're providing customer choice. You know, we'd prefer our customers live long lives and we'd prefer they not smoke. But you know what? You know, we're we're not going to force them to do that. 414-799-1620. Bottom line is I support Walgreens decision to do this. I, I don't think they should be pressured into this. To me, and we talked about something like this earlier in the program, this is, this is all about business choice. Here's a text, for example. When CVS made the decision, I applauded them, I stopped shopping at Walgreens, and I moved all my quote-unquote drugstore business to CVS, even though I believe they are generally more expensive. All right. See, that's that's the beauty of what CVS did. It's the marketing thing. You know, they said, okay, look, we're 
we think it's inconsistent for somebody to be in the business that we're in and to sell tobacco products. So we're not going to do it anymore. And I'm sure while it costs them some business, they estimate $2 billion in retail sales related to tax uh, to tobacco, it, it attracted customers. It was a great marketing option for them. At the same time, I appreciate what Walgreens is doing. Walgreens is saying, all right, well, look, we're a full-service business. And, and yes, you know, we provide the drugstore products and we've got food products and we've got the pharmacy products. And yeah, we're going to do all this, but we're also going to continue to offer, again, people cigarettes. I think that they have every right to do that, recognizing that this is one of these marketing sort of issues, which could, in fact, come back and bite them in the butt at some point in time. But it's a decision that they are making. And the reality is, from the perspective of Walgreens or CVS, like we were talking about earlier, this is it's a small part of the overall cigarette marketplace. Whether or not Walgreens sells the cigarettes really doesn't matter. Somebody that wants to buy cigarettes, if you're not going to buy them at Walgreens, you're going to go across the way and you're going to buy them somewhere else. You'll buy them at the convenience store. You'll buy them at the corner gas station. You're going to get your cigarettes somewhere. So I guess while I think CVS has every right to do it, I, I don't think Walgreens should be pressured into, well, be or shamed, actually, shamed into refusing to sell cigarettes. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm sure there are some people that, that end up going to Walgreens and they're buying other stuff at the same time that they are buying their cigarettes, and they're going to buy the cigarettes anyways. That's just the reality. So unless we're at a point where we're willing to come in and say, all right, we've decided that tobacco products are so incredibly dangerous to people's health that we're not going to let anybody smoke, well, that's a different dynamic, but we're not there yet. Now, the one thing that it is fair to criticize Walgreens for is, um, at least historically, they have been... Well, less than vigilant in not selling cigarettes to underage minors. I mean, here's the deal. Um, about 22%, I'm looking at the, all right, the, the numbers here. About 22% of the more than 6,000 Walgreens stores that were inspected by the um, FDA sold cigarettes to minors. 22%. By, just to give you a contrast, when the FDA did these checks, 17.5% of Walmart stores, 9.6% of Rite Aid stores inspected had illegally sold products to minors. So Walgreens does have, um, well, I mean, you know, if, if you've got, if you've got a compliance rate, if you've got 22% violations, that's not very good. So, I mean, I do think it's fair if you want to criticize Walgreens for not vigilantly making sure that minors don't get products, I think that that's a fair consideration and it's a fair criticism. But to say that Walgreens is somehow not a legitimate pharmacy or deserves to be criticized or should be forced into pulling tobacco products out of their stores, I I just, to me, that doesn't make any sense. And especially if they make the business decision that they want to keep them, then, you know, that's the business decision that they have, and they get to keep them. Hey, Scott Warris is in for John McCure for one more day, and before I turn it over to him, I did want to comment on, on something else that's been percolating through the news. And by the way, let me remind you once again, tomorrow is Election Day in the state. It There is a statewide race for Supreme Court justice. The conservative candidate is a Waukesha appellate judge named Brian Hagedorn. 
The liberal candidate is a Waukesha appellate judge named Lisa Neubauer. You've probably seen a lot of ads on both their parts, at least up until recently. The vast amount of money that's been spent has been trying to spent on trying to label Brian Hagedorn as a hater or something like that. Ads that I think are misleading in the extreme. But for people who are wondering, gee, who's the conservative? Who's the liberal? Neubauer is the liberal. Hagedorn is the conservative. It is a statewide race. My guess is there's going to be low turnout. Um, so... This is one of those elections where, you know, your, your vote has even more impact than it does if you're looking at a, a, a an election where there's going to be 70 to 80 percent turnout. So the polls open tomorrow and we'll see how that all turns out. There are a number of judicial races, maybe individual county judges. There's one in Ozaki County. I know in our listening area, there's a contested race in Milwaukee County. There are various mayor's races throughout the state. There's school spending referendums. Bottom line is, you know, get out, get out and vote. Tomorrow's a day again with a low turnout election where you can have an input. All right. There's this story that's been kind of percolating under the radar screen that I did want to comment on before I turn the program over to Scott Moore, Scott uh, Warris. As everybody knows, after after Governor Walker lost his reelection race in November, there was a period where you had a, a lame duck session of the legislature that passed various laws that the governor then signed off on. After that happened, you had the Democrats that came in and they ran to, predictably, Dane County Circuit Court to challenge various aspects of the law. You have a very liberal Dane County judge um, who ended up issuing ruling that parts, not all, but parts of this lame duck law were were illegal, that the legislature, even though they've been doing this practice for the last 40 years, didn't have the authority to do it. I think this is a very, very scary ruling because if the ruling is upheld, what that means is you're going to have people going back and looking at 40 years worth of legislation and saying, oh, this wasn't properly enacted here. Let this person out or expunge this person's criminal record or, or whatever. I think it's very, very scary. I also, with all due respect, think the Dane County judge is wrong. But one of the things that happened was there were 67 people who had been appointed to various boards or agencies that were confirmed during this lame duck session, um, 67 of those people. And what ended up happening, it, eight, I'm sorry, there were 82 that were confirmed, 82. Well, what happened is as soon as this Dane County judge said, no, 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 this was, this was improper, the Evers administration um, essentially said to all these 82 people, you're out of a job. You, you can't serve on the, these boards. Now, what they subsequently did is they took 67 of them and they said, okay, well, we'll let you serve. You know, we'll, we'll reappoint you. But for 15 of them, including, well, a couple people that I know quite well, what they said is, no, we're not going to let you serve. You know, you're, we're not planning on reappointing you. You're not going to be allowed to serve. All right. So this includes um, somebody. Her name is Ellen Nowak, for example, who was appointed to the Public Service Commission. All right. Um, so what happens then is an appellate judge, an appellate court, says that the Dane County Circuit Judge was was wrong. Or at least they said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna put a stay on your ruling." In other words, we're gonna we're gonna move things back to the way they were before you found that the law was illegal. 
All right. So they put a stay on it. Well, the Evers administration is still refusing to allow these remaining 15 people who were appointed in the lame duck session to, to do their jobs. It is a clearly illegal act, in my opinion, on the part of the governor. It is a shameful sort of thing. You know, it's it's one thing to say to people, all right, we've got the circuit court ruling that says you weren't properly appointed to your job, so you can't serve. But now that that ruling is on hold, in my opinion, the Evers administration has absolutely no legal basis, none at all, for denying these people to serve the to, you know, do the jobs that they were essentially hired for and confirmed to. Now, it might be somewhere down the line that either an appellate court or the state Supreme Court agrees with this Dane County judge and says, okay, you know, the, the lame duck legislature didn't have the authority to do it. But until then, as long as that Dane County ruling is put on hold, the governor has no legal basis at all to not allow the people to go and do their jobs. And the fact that he is doing that is absolutely shameful. It is illegal in the extreme. Now, the Republicans are appealing that. They're going to the appellate court level, and and hopefully sanity will reign. But, I mean, if, if, if this lawlessness is going to be indicative of what we're going to be seeing from the Evers administration over the next, you know, three and a half years. 2022 can't come soon enough. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what Scott Warris has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.